Cut the Crest presents The Screening Room Jesus, um, it feels like I've been away for like, oh man, months, and actually I have been away for months, I've been away since, I think, April, May, jeez man, so for all three of my listeners, uh, my regular listeners, I'm really, I'm really fucking sorry man, I'm really bloody sorry, um, yeah, I've been busy, I've been busy, a bit of an understatement, we've been, uh, cracking away at, uh, seeing robbed, um, our short film robbed through the festival circuit is kind of doing all right, actually. Um, you know, some a few rejections, but mostly uh, mostly uh, selections and uh, a couple of little awards, uh, with hopefully a couple more on the horizon. So uh, yeah, that's yeah. I've been busy with that. I've been busy with uh, trying to get a little project of mine called the Round Table um, finished, so it's pitch ready. Um, we're not, yeah, not too far off on that one, hopefully, fingers crossed. I mean, I say that two years down the line, I might still be sat here with a finished product and nobody to buy it, but so who knows. But um, anyway, yeah, so it's been a busy one, but I'm back. We're back, finally. And uh, we're going to, I know I, <laughs> I know I promised, I know I promised this Bendis episode flipping years ago. I mean, I recorded the damn thing like two years ago, so I'm sorry that I haven't got that out yet. But uh, that will be coming. Just, you know, it's the nature of the beast, right? Sometimes uh, things just pop up. And one such thing that has popped up is uh, a little film. And I say a little film. It's not that little. It's kind of big. It's called uh, Under the Radar, the Mike Edmonds story. Uh, and that kind of popped up. It got into Raindance. Uh, Raindance Film Festival. If you're not aware of it, just Google it and uh, and then, you know, yeah, that'll tell you everything. Google will tell you everything. The font of all knowledge and all that shit. But, um, yeah, so Raindance, uh, it got into Raindance. And, uh, it's basically a documentary, or it's a biopic, uh, of an English actor called Mike Edmonds. Now, uh, you may or may not know his name, but I tell you what, you definitely, definitely know his work. Um, and you definitely know his face. You would have seen it. Because he's been in um, some of the biggest films of all time, actually. Uh, he, I think, well, let's see. Um, you got The Empire Strikes Back. He's the Ugnaught. You see, there's like two or three Ugnaughts, but he's the main fella, I think, who, I don't know, I think he puts uh, Han into the, um, into the Carbonite Chamber. I could be wrong. No, I'm sure that, yeah. Anyway, he played an Ugnaught. He, um,. In Return of the Jedi, he came back pretty strong. He uh, operated Jabba the Hutt's tail. If you don't know uh, how that giant Jabba puppet was uh, created, um, well, A, watch this film once it's um, on general release. But um, until then, you can, uh, I guess, Google it again or see any Star Wars documentary uh, that deals with Return of the Jedi, and they'll talk about how... There was an individual doing the eyes. There was an individual doing, I think, the mouth. The uh, there were two people uh, doing the arms, and then you had uh, little old Mike crammed, sat on a stool. Surprisingly, so there's a reasonable room in that thing. It just goes to show the scale of it. It's huge. He sat there in the tail, and uh, whenever Java gets a little excited, 
he would just not wiggle it around. Anyway, um, and then he shows up again later on uh, as an Ewok, the medicine man, uh, Logray, and uh, you see him doing all the stuff. And yeah, anyway, so he had some really good, uh, really good scenes in that film too. A few really good shots and stuff. And uh, I remember the figure. I remember the figure quite well. I had Chief Chirper and I had Logray as a kid growing up. But anyway, um, what else did he do? He's pretty famous for Time Bandits. Um, he played the one of the dwarfs, one of the actual time bandits called Og. So, but if by this point you haven't worked out, Mike Edmonds is a little person. He um, has a condition called achondroplasia, which uh, you know it brings about its own issues. But um, in a sort of uh, interesting way, it's given him the opportunity to play all these incredible, incredible characters. Um, stuff that certainly informed my childhood. So if you were a, if you were a kid in the late seventies, early eighties, growing up uh, during that period, you definitely would know Mike's work. Um, but yeah, like he's God, his uh, his filmography is vast, man. I'm going to leave it to you to sort of go look it up. Um, but um, yeah, loads of stuff. Uh, Time Bandits. Then uh, us Brits over here in uh, the UK, we knew him. Uh, from Maid Marion and Her Merry Men, which was a really cool, um, I believe it was BBC, I think it was BBC, um, kids, uh, show that kind of, it gender bent. Well, it didn't, no, it didn't gender bent. It just sort of shifted the role of Robin Hood. So in this one, Robin Hood was a complete freaking buffoon and it's actually Maid Marion who's the, uh, she's the, you know, the hero of the piece. So, you know, way before you had all these strong female character things going on and people fucking kicking off on the internet about Captain Marvel and Ray and this and that, uh, I'm sorry, uh, we we had strong female characters for a very long time uh, throughout history. Anyway, um, I won't wobble on too much about that. But yeah, so Maid Marian and her Merry Man. And, uh, oh God, was he Little John? I can't remember now. No, was he? Uh, anyway, well, he had this bizarre little beard and stuff and he was a feisty guy um solid solid actor but anyway so uh kind of really long story slightly shorter it's still gonna be kind of long uh <laughs> so bear with me um at Artie's first uh, my wife Artie, at her first uh comic-con which was back in 2000 and was it 14 or 15? I think it was 2015, but it was pre-Star Wars. I remember that because she was signing for Rocket, Raccoon, and Harry Potter. Um, Mike was also a guest there signing. Actually, that was a wicked lineup. There were so many great, great um, people there. It's the first time I met Jeremy Bullock as well. Um, anyway, uh, and uh, we sat there and this small sort of uh, camera crew pops in uh, following Mike around. And it was basically uh, director, producer, uh, Simon J. Frith. Uh, you had uh, Peter Curtis, who was on camera as the DOP. Uh, you had Richard Neal, who I think was a uh, production assistant or runner or something like that. Uh, he was he was helping them out. I can't remember the exact roles. It was a while ago. I'm trying to remember all this from memory. But um, And you had Richard Laverick on sound i think he was recording the sound actually i'm sure he was anyway um the reason those names 
are important, at least to me, and the reason I mention them is because actually, because of Simon, I've gone on to work with these guys. They've sort of, they've edited for me, they've uh, DOP, they've done, you know, loads of stuff. And um, anyway, so they were filming Mike around, you know, and interviewing people and stuff, and they asked Artie if they could interview her, because actually she'd worked with uh, with Mike on, um, she'd worked with him previously on a couple of projects i think maybe they were on harry potter together i'm i can't remember um but they did this human dumbbell thing you know uh yeah they'd worked on a couple of bits and bobs and so she she was interviewed uh by simon and it, and it, the, the project was uh this film called under the radar now in 2016 there was a shortened version like an hour long 58 minute i think uh cut of that film which came out you did the well it did the festival circuit and stuff but um, there were a couple of key uh, guests, a couple of key actors that uh, Simon was unable to sort of um, secure interviews with, uh, you know, scheduling. I think it was, you hear this a lot, but yeah, scheduling conflicts because uh, I think one of which was Colin Firth, a big name. And I think at the time he may have been working on Kingsman, I'm not sure. So they couldn't get it to work. Uh, the other was Michael Palin, and eventually, some years later, uh, Simon managed to secure these interviews, and so he and and he basically evolved the piece um, and built on it, and has got like an hour and a half version of the film now, which got into Raindance Film Festival and premiered uh, on September twenty sixth. So what I, um, I'd helped out a little bit, I suppose, with a bit of the fundraising. I sort of gave a little bit of money. I tried to raise awareness here and there. I did like a, um, an auction. I did a drawing of uh, Micah's Logre. And, and actually, <laughs> funnily enough, uh, ended up bidding on it myself and winning it back. So, uh, yeah, because I kind of liked it. Anyway, um, and so, yeah, so I, I kind of helped out a bit. Artie helped out. She's in it. So I got a nice little... Uh, thanks credit in it and uh and because of that relationship i've managed to um see you know i've seen the film i've seen both versions of the film and uh i went along uh with a actor buddy of mine details to the premiere in london it was so it was in london's west end and uh what they did was they, they showed the film and as you often do they had a q and a at the end and i rather cheekily uh, recorded the Q&A, albeit on my phone, so you're going to notice probably a bit of a, a, a dip in audio quality, and I also sort of come in a little bit late, um, a few moments late, because it was very impromptu, and I was, quite frankly, I was a little bit drunk, so, um, you know, what didn't really have my wits about me uh, fully, but uh, I recorded this thing, and I thought, you know what, it's quite interesting, I got permission from Simon to share it with you guys. I've so I've tried to clean up the audio as best as I can, and um, and it no it's fine I think it works it's okay I mean there's you know it, you can tell that it's a live recording, um, and yeah so there's four people basically in the Q and A uh, you've got uh, in fact I'll mention them in the order that you're gonna hear them in okay because I know it's a little disconnected and uh, in the sense that you guys haven't seen the film. Uh, or, or maybe you have, maybe you uh, at, uh, or maybe you just have, maybe maybe you saw that original card, or maybe you were there at the screening at Raindance. I don't know, I don't know. But um, just assuming that perhaps you haven't, 
the first voice you're going to hear is Danny John Jules. Now, uh, Danny is also interviewed in the film. He's a, he's a lovely chap. I've met him quite a few times now um, outside of conventions. And most of you will recognize him or recognize his voice maybe. And if you look him up, he, you'll recognize him as Cat from Red Dwarf. Um, he was also, though, in uh, Maid Marian and Her Merry Men. Uh, he was Rasta Man or something, and and uh, Mike and Danny ended up forging quite a strong uh, friendship during that production. So uh, he's got some great stories about uh, Mike. Um, some they make reference to something about thighs, the way uh, the way Mike would say thighs, and uh, basically that's referenced in this in the film. So uh, just to give you a bit of context there, um, the second voice you're going to hear. The second voice you're going to hear is Mike Edmonds himself. Uh, after that, you're going to hear Simon J. Frith, who is the director. This is his baby. He produced as well. Um, so you'll hear some of his thoughts. And the fourth voice you're going to hear is another uh, gentleman who's featured in the um, in the film, Mr. Robert Watts. Now, he, uh, again, I mean, these guys, you know, like the people who are featured in this uh Barpick are just, uh, they're all tremendous, all in their own rights. Um, but there are just some people who are just like, you know, they, it just hits you when you see their um, CV, uh, their resume. Uh, Robert Watts is a producer uh, whom I admire greatly, who a lot of uh, people out there probably do too. He is best known for being a producer on the original trilogy, the Star Wars original trilogy, and uh, Empire and Jedi. I'm not sure if he was there for A New Hope, actually. Uh, maybe he was. I don't know. I can't remember now. I'm sure he's got a credit. Uh, anyway, uh, and the Indiana Jones films, uh, to name just two franchises. He was also a producer on... Well, was he a producer? But he worked on uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Um, I think Mike did as well. Uh, yeah, just, just some really, really big films throughout the 80s um but you know i you guys can go check out their uh their cvs you can see their filmographies online mate so you, you just look that up yourselves and uh to get a better picture but uh yeah so the fourth voice is robert um the random frequent giggling here and there that you might hear scattered throughout the the uh recording is me and d i'm sorry uh yeah but it was just a really enjoyable fun evening so we couldn't help ourselves we couldn't help ourselves i'm so sorry um yeah and that's it i guess i mean uh you know, i suppose i can give you yeah the, how, how was the let me give you a bit of uh insight into the how this thing worked how because it's not so much that you just rock up with a cinema ticket sit down you know find your allocated seat and then watch the film and go home um it, it's a slightly fancier affair than that earlier in the day these guys they were all on the red carpet all the the people who are involved in it i uh, along with d and um Karen uncle that's Karen shah if you're unfamiliar um and um our manager kit uh we went we were invited to the uh the the reception basically so there was a there was a little drinks reception beforehand um which is quite pleasant you know typical sort of media kind of thing you got film p 
people just sort of mingling and catching up and not expe- seeing each other and not expecting to see each other there. So they all like, oh, hey, how are you doing? How are you doing? Um, uh, but, you know, with free drinks put on and stuff. So that goes on for about an hour, hour and a half. And then, um, and then we went into the screening. Uh, and all this was occurring in uh, West End of London. London, UK, not London, Canada. Or any of the other myriad Londons that there are out there uh, on the west western side of the world. Anyway, yeah, and uh, so then they screened the film, and then uh, after that there was about, I guess the the, the Q and A lasted about maybe I think it was thirty minutes, just under thirty minutes. Um, and then after that, well, I I went home. D I and uh, you know uh, Karen and Get we we uh, legged it because I was getting on a bit. But uh, I think maybe the other guys went on, uh, went on to another soiree. Who knows? Who knows? But this was sort of, um, yeah, it was a big deal because it was the premiere at, you know, it was the film's premiere. It was Rain Dance, which is a massive, massive film festival. Uh, and yeah, I just want to say congratulations again to the team on on getting selected. Uh, well deserved. Um, so in terms of a release date for the film, like a general, like the official release date has been listed i think on uh the umdaba i won't i won't name it but uh, the website but uh yeah i think it, the official release date is the 26th of september um which is the night we saw it uh but as for a home i don't think it's found a home just yet but if you keep your eyes peeled on red stable films website uh or on their uh facebook pages and whatnot or just go follow simon i think you can follow his Facebook page as well. Uh, I'm sure there'll be more news on that. Uh, more news on that soonish, maybe soon, maybe not. Actually, who knows? These things seem to take forever. But uh, yeah, just keep your eyes peeled. Um, go follow those pages. Check out the websites, and uh, and hopefully you'll be able to see the film soon too, because it truly, truly is wonderful. Anyway, I won't take up too much more of your time now. Uh, let's uh, let's get into it. <laughs> you do the same, but you laugh at the same joke for four years. Yeah. And, and that every time he fell asleep, he woke up, and he knew that everyone would be watching him like this, ready for him to wake up, and then he'd do that. Yeah. That were good, good times down in the mine head down that area, and the Exmoor and beautiful countryside and things like that. And, as it said on the film, we used to go down there for six weeks at a time, and uh, it's the only place you could get a drink, actually. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that's why we were coming there regularly. <laughs> and him and I, as it said on once again on the film, we used to try to go around town, didn't we? Yeah, when we used to walk around town, that people used to be like the couple. Lots of that going on. Yeah, a raster and a, and a, and yeah, a small person. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was it was quite interesting because you know I, I, my hair was extensions, but it was easier to have them in permanently for three months than to keep wearing a wig. And um, um, so I had to wear them like just during the day normally. So yeah, it was quite interesting the reactions 
Uh, I can't tell you what Mike used to say every time someone turned around because it's a family show. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was very funny. Right. As well, you mentioned how Mike would always say thighs on set, and then we heard more about how there were ticks and how um, yeah. was married. Yeah, well, it's, it, it, is that where the thighs thing came from? Well, it's the voice that he used to put on. Is that you used to remember? It was this this, this bass baritone sort of thighs, thighs. <laughs> <laughs> he used to call me Sydney Porter Potty. Oh, yeah. I, I had various names for a mold, didn't I? Yeah. yeah, constantly all day there'd be a new name that you hadn't heard that you know you call you. But uh, the mud was the worst thing, wasn't it? No, no. Well, it was my first number, my first yeah, foray yeah. to the show was the mud song. Yeah, and it's good they show the uh, pancake day song every pancake day now on TV somewhere, so that's good. Wonderful, um, Simon. I wanted to ask you the next question actually. Um, so obviously you've been friends with Mike for years upon years upon years. Um, but what made you decide to make a documentary about your friend? What made you want to do it? Well, initially, I guess it was just a. I was going to start off as a very short film. Um, as I've known Mike for twenty plus years, and uh, I thought, well, let's in between other projects, let's have a quick. Quick short film we can knock out about Mike's stories because I'm sure there'll be some good ones. And as soon as we started to talk to him and find out some more detail, we realised that actually this was no way going to be a short 20 minute film. This, this needed longer. And um, in fact, it's grown over the years as we've started doing this and, and we've added bits and pieces to it. But it's uh, what surprised me the most really was the fact that there were so many people that readily agreed to be involved in the film of, of quite high status, really, in my my, by my reckoning, anyway, and um, it was that really because Mike's a really humble guy and doesn't doesn't brag, doesn't sort of say I've worked with Terry Gilliam and I'm, I'm mates with Terry or anything like that. Tell um, he sort of he doesn't, and so therefore, even though I've known him for twenty years, I've known he's been in these films. I had no real understanding of the relationship he had with these people, and, and when we did Colin Colin's interview last uh, November. Um, until we I turned up in the room, I didn't know what, what the relationship was going to be. It's, it's, it's been a special journey for me really as well, seeing, seeing that emerge. And did you find that you found out anything new about Mike through making this? Absolutely, yeah. 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 He's been really hard, hard to work with. The police, <laughs> yeah. Really hard to work with. <laughs> no, it, it, it's, it's, been, it's been great. I mean, it's just being able to meet um, some, of the, some of his colleagues and work colleagues, and, 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 and many of whom are here tonight, uh, uh, has been just a, a real joy, really. Wonderful. Um, Mike, yes. um, Simon just touched on what a humble guy you are, so um, <laughs> how did it feel being such a humble guy, seeing so many of your friends say such wonderful things about you on this screen just now? Well, it's an honour. I, I mean, I, well, I do feel humble, really, in a way, but uh, no, it's an honour, and it's, uh, I'm just myself, you know, and I, I say this often, I, like the song goes, I am what I am, what you see is what you get. I, and I treat everybody the same. And uh, I feel that I, I see people who's, who, who don't say thank you to people, who serve in them or waiting on them or don't appreciate what they're doing. And uh, I, I, even at home, I talk to the guy who's sweeping the street. I say, thanks, mate. You know, he's doing a great job. And, you know, it, it, 
without them, we would have a load of crap in the street and, and things like that, you know, and the dustman and everybody else. Okay. So everybody's the same. We're all here for a, a, it's a blink of an eye, you know, in comparison to this earth, you know, and, you know, we should be nice. Well, I mean, it's true that he is absolutely the same. Everybody, all day, every day, and I mean, I think the film's testament because pretty much everyone had the same version of his image and his personality. Um, they they uh, expressed it on the film, and I think if you, if you listen, everybody had the same story about Mike. But you know, in their own inimitable, inimitable style. But you know, pretty much he's the same guy as everybody, and I think that's why everybody likes him. And one of the reasons I wanted to make the film was because, as you might have seen from the t-shirts, that um, most people, when they sort of, we sort of say, oh, there's a guy who's been in Star Wars and lives in this town, um, they immediately said, oh, he's R2-D2, he's Kenny Baker. And everybody was saying, he's Kenny Baker. Kenny Baker. Are you Kenny Baker? And uh, it just said, look, here's a guy who's worked with some of the greats in cinema history, yet no one really knows who he is. And so that was just that important uh, message. One point on, Mike is an incredibly wonderful actor. That's what I would say. And he is, and that's what really, in my book, brought me to the place where I would always want Mike in a movie. Not because he was a little person, because he could act. And that's what he's really good at. Thank you. <laughs> you know, Robert, that actually brings me perfectly onto my next question, which was, you touched a little bit in the documentary about the frustrations that can be felt in being pigeonholed in casting. And I was just wondering what you each think on how we as an industry can do better. Well, being pigeonholed in casting is obviously, if you're a little person, that immediately puts you in a pigeonhole. Uh, uh, but if you're a little person who's a brilliant actor, that's a whole different ball game. And that's you, Mike. And that's you. You can act. You are a bloody wonderful actor. I don't know where it comes from, but... <laughs> but I think that, um, uh, you know, Tony's idea as well had a, a lot to do with that because, um, you know, I think that, you know, the fact that he, he turned the hero into a woman and you know, arrested Fearman, Cockney, Merry Man, and, uh, you know, a little person. I mean, I think that uh, at, at that time, I think it was a really brave decision to, to commission that from the BBC, and, and I don't think anything had been commissioned like that, you know, um, to take such a risk to, to put these really, you know, sort of ragtag characters together and, and, and make it, you know, still popular and relevant today. It's crazy. Yeah. Well ahead of its day, I think. Totally agree, a hundred percent. I mean, you know, it was an amazing series. Yeah, I think that you loved it. So, I mean, if 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 Tony's script wasn't directed by David Bell, you know, there's all these little things that happened, you know, organically. I think David Bell is hard to imagine anyone else actually directing Made Marion. <laughs> You know, I just don't know. They, they just got and Richard Cannell and the producer. They were all these quite eccentric characters and. What a brilliant show it was. I didn't work on it myself personally, but I worked with Mike, and I told him, I said, this is about Mike, 
Mike is a brilliant actor. <laughs> and our lovely yeah. makeup department sitting up there in the third row. Chrissy Powers there. And uh, probably Mike's having shivers now about the beard now, just hearing your name. <laughs> but I never think, all day, every day for four years, Mike, you know, when he, again, when you watch him when he's not looking and, and, and the, the imaginary hair that was in his mouth from the beard. <laughs> I never saw a hair, but you get it, you know, four years and did, I never saw a hair. Was, it, was there really a hair in, in your mouth? I've got to thank both you and you, Robert and Mike, for one of my favourite movies of my whole childhood, which was Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh. And I just wanted to hear some more stories about working together on that. Yeah. Uh, well, we had a scene uh, in Roger Rabbit, which took place in what was called the Terminal Bar. That's right, yeah. Which was above the terminus of the uh, railcar station. And I got Mike in to play one of the characters in the Terminal Bar. And he's brilliant. He's, he's, he's in there with all these, because they're all kind of slightly weird characters. <laughs> yeah. We had a one-armed <laughs> cowboy, didn't we? Oh, yes, yes. We had... They were like bizarre characters and everything. And I called my company and said, come on in and play one of the parts there in the terminal bar. And he came and as usual, did it brilliantly. I was a character called Stretch, as I Stretch. remember that. So, and Roger Rabbit wasn't, you know, that was a cartoon added afterwards. And uh, our eyeline, what we had to follow was a ping pong ball on the end of a very, very long cane. And so when Roger was skipping around the bar, that was what we had to keep our, everybody in the bar had to keep their eye on that, and that was our eye line. So we were working to nothing, really. Yeah, yeah it was a nightmare to make that film because yeah. the major character in the film wasn't there no, ever right. because he was animated and would be added later. And the entire cast is having to act with a character who wasn't there. And it was just all over the place we were doing this, creating something to give an eyeline, as you rightly say, Mike, about where they should all look. And it worked, but it was a nightmare to make. And he still stands up today. Yeah. And he's still and watched him today, actually. It's incredibly good um, film. I could talk to any one of you for about three hours about everything you've done because you've just got such an impressive slate. But I feel like we need to open it up to the floor because I'm sure so many of you will have so many things you want to ask. So who has any questions? <coughs> yep, up there. So, so basically, like when I watch older films, older films would say, uh, say like 50s to... Uh, early to late 70s, what I find is the acting is far more theatrical. Would you say that modern cinema has moved almost more away from the theatrics of a, of a theatre, of a very, very over the top, and more along the lines of all to do with the small facial expression, all to do with the small body movements and language. Yeah, I'd agree with you. 
in, in, in that respect. But yes, indeed, uh, as we came out of the 50s into the 60s, that uh, <clears throat> the acting was far more theatrical in film than, than it became as we moved into the 70s and 80s. And I think you're 100% right there. And I think that was is the development of the way cinema works as a medium of entertainment and that it's constantly changed. You go back even further and you start to see as it comes out of the silent era into sound, etc. The whole thing is evolving all the time. And you just brought up another example of that form of evolution. silent era, most of the big stars didn't get any work because they couldn't string two words together when they actually got sound. And then as you moved into later, you, you, most film actors were um, trained in the theatre. And so you had, you know, they had bigger lines, they were saying a bit bigger and much, much more precise. And then what now, you know, when it was from the 80s, kind of, you didn't have to do theatre. People went on to movies that had never been in the theatre in their life. And then the big thing was when someone came to do the Donmar Warehouse, or a Hollywood star's coming to do the Donmar Warehouse to 100 people because they wanted credibility. And, and, and so the, the, what you've got with films now is, is that, you, you know, you've got people that doing movies, big stars earning 50 million, never, never been in the theatre in their life. But it depends what you want out of your movie, I think, you know. Um, it, it depends on what you want to watch that day. Yeah, but yeah. when they do a modern version of an old style film, you know, say like you know Jack Nicholson in Chinatown, say no one has any problems with that because what it is is a, a modern sort of. Uh, I haven't seen that film, but is that? Like yeah, the, like, it's not the, the characters the more of, of of the old school, yeah. you know, sort of awesome Lords type character. And, and I think once maybe if you look at something like Lowell and Hardy. Uh, and you look at the subtleties in the delivery of, of those two, uh, it, it stands up today as incredibly funny and incredibly good, and, and that was from the 30s. So I think it's not a completely um, obvious transition that you're seeing. I think it's just maybe in certain things where there was a sort of more of a stage actor, um, probably more from the direction, really, I suppose. It's not quite as polarised as I thought it was, but more of a transition between the two. I still think it's an evolution, though. Yeah, but uh, yeah. as as time passes, things evolve, and I think that cinema as a form of entertainment evolves and has done. We have another question over here. This lady on the end. Um, thank you for a really inspiring and very interesting film. Um, I have a question for Mike. Um, I can see from some of the scenes in the film talking about your life that you are at times in physical pain and definitely going through stuff which any human being would find challenging. 
and yet you seem to remain positive. Like every frame that you're positive, and everyone else says you're positive. What do you do in those times of difficulty? How do you keep yourself positive? You know, are you a Zen master? Do you have spiritual practice? Uh, how, are you, how are you managing to do this? Well, the, my physical uh, things is sometimes very difficult and I do have those quiet times to myself and I think, why am I suffering this? What have I done wrong? You know? But then I think, and uh, I was saying today in the car to uh, Simon here, when I go up to, I have to go to Stanmore Hospital in the spinal unit and see uh, people there and children, you know, who are just 10 years old, say, with the same problem I've got. Now, I've had a good life. I've had a ruddy good life. My parents, you know, made me appreciate everything, which I'm so grateful for, and I still do great, am grateful for, you know. And I see the four children, and I think, Mike, you're bloody lucky. So that's what keeps me going, and... Uh, Every day I get up and say, right, let's do something. I make something. I've got to do a job, a, a chore, or anything. But that's my target for today, and I do it. I just keep going, and that's the only way I can. Because I live at home on my own. So it is, you know. Okay. And that's how I do it. Thank you. Really, as a credit to you, Mike, your humility there. Um, Anyone else have any questions?
I think the most important thing in, in this business that we all work in is passion, to have the passion for what you're doing. To know what you want and then have the passion to do it. That's all I can really say. Do you have a question? Sorry. Oh, it was the fellow yeah, behind me, but we'll come back to you. Yeah. Okay. Big lad, we don't want to have to see him outside. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll just to say, first, thank you, because Mate Marion was one of my favourite uh, children's TV programs when I was growing up, so thank you. Um, and you are an inspiration, Mike. And uh, just to take it a little bit lighter, I was going to say, uh, for Danny and Mike, what are your favourite films? Favourite films and also how the ones that have helped influence you in your career. Favourite film, what's your favourite film? Oh, yeah. I'll go right back now. Yeah. Favourite films. Yeah, uh, there's so many yeah, for me. I, I, well, you know, the thing is that people talk about, you know, like, oh, you know, science fiction. And, uh, you know, a lot of people ridicule science fiction a lot when it comes to, to movies. I mean, we, we, and obviously now with the big blockbusters and that. It's a different. I'm talking about when you know in, you think the original Star Wars is what, what it's 74, 75, something like that, and and the, the technology it, it, that was a, a, that was available at that point, you know what that film made was incredible. But then when you and I look back at my childhood and I think what kind of films I like, and I realise that you know without knowing it, I watched a lot of musicals, and, <laughs> and without knowing it, I lost. I, I liked you know the old. You know Charles Middleton in in the old Flash Gordon, the black and white. You know <laughs> he talked like this and Flash Gordon. Those are the things that yeah, and you you know like this is exactly more than cinema. And then you know when you real you I realised when I got older, you know you know I was always asking myself why can't I end up in musical theatre? <laughs> you know weird, you know sort of kid from Nine Hill, you know Labour Cobra, and I'm in musical theatre. And and then I realised when I look back at my life, and I said I liked all the old musicals and I. Bit strange. I think I was the same there because I, yeah. I used to like all the Doris Day ones, you know? All of them. Shine on Harvest Moon and all that, Moonlight Bay and things like that, Clamity Jane. And I used to love yeah. them. And uh, as I, he said on the film, the boy who played in it, you know, a uh, uh, brother. Uh, Shane. I, Come back, Shane! Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 I suppose so. Used to sit on an armchair like that when the cowboy scene was Oh, God, yeah, yeah, ride that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 All of that crazy stuff you used to do as a kid. And, uh, you know, so when you, when, you know, and then, you know, watching all those cowboy films, and I remember I did Destry Ride to get at the Donmar Warehouse, you know, and I was just playing a cowboy. I was like, what? Yeah. You know, but then, you know, you, well, I remember I enjoyed all those films, you know, I can, I can remember all the old cowboys. But um, I never thought I'd play one. It's surprising, isn't it? How it comes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you go to the pictures every Saturday. And then ended up crazy. on the story. Yeah. Jill Gascoigne. Who? Jill. <laughs> <laughs> you see? Only Mike could tell that joke. I'd be flogged if I told that joke. <laughs> 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 Sorry, guys. One more uh, this is something that like I really like struggling with their their thought of. So obviously, so you got a method actor who completely throws himself into becoming that specific person. Okay, method actor. He's really throwing himself into that. But is that entirely necessary, or 
is it okay to say learn a script, learn a lot about what that person, what that person you're playing is about, and not have to embody that person? Like simple answer. Yeah, simple answer. Simple, simple answer. Marathon man, right? So you have Lawrence Olivier. You have often one of them didn't wash, didn't all like that. Lawrence Olivier said, "Why don't you try acting?" Mm. Who whose character was more impressive in that movie? Lawrence Olivier. I haven't. <laughs> it depends what your taste is, but for me, that I couldn't see any difference in what they delivered because he was scary as that old. Um, you know, sort of, uh, sort of World War Two. I mean, he was just scary, and Dustin Hoffman was just crazy. I mean, but, but that's what you need. You need a balance of both, don't you? So yeah, yeah. one can inspire the other. But I don't think Lawrence Olivier was ever going to go to bed without washing. <laughs> you know, and run around in bare feet and not brush his teeth, you know, to get into the character and all of that. So, I'm sorry, it was one back. question and we have run out of time. Um, but I'm sure if anyone else has any other questions, yep. these will be more than accommodating. Yeah, I just wanted to know, Mike, is there any other role you would still like to play other than a villainous cowboy? <laughs> oh, yeah. I like that. Yeah, I like to be a villain. Yeah, that one. Um, but I, I take, I take on any role, whatever you give me. I love to try it. You know, even if it's a weirdo one. You know. <laughs> any, any, uh, that, any that you've seen, no, you, you, you could I mean? do. I, yeah, it's, we could do. Midnight Cowboy on the 18 bus down the Harrow Road. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember the scene in the bus? Me and you. You'd be sleeping anyway. I'd love to do something. <laughs> at the end of the film, it'd be Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very good at that. It's Tom! I'm very good at Could I just say thank you very much for coming to see a film about me? Thank you. <laughs>